Friends, worship team. Yeah, and that's why we're here, to celebrate our God who holds us fast. Thank you for being here. I, I want to welcome you also. Spencer welcomed you earlier, but uh, thank you for being here. And if you happen to be here for the first time, second time, third time, just drop by our Welcome Center. We have a little gift we'd love to give you, and just we'd like to know how we can help you, help you take your next step in your own journey here at the chapel, in your own spiritual journey. That would be great. Before we get to the message, um, I, I want to tell you about a few things. One thing is uh, this coming Saturday, this, men, this is for you. How do you grow spiritually? One of the ways is by connecting with others, and men's fraternity is a way for you to connect with each other. That's Saturday mornings, 7 o'clock here, every Saturday morning, all right? That's not on the screen. What is on the screen is join our Helping Hands team. You know, my mom, she passed away a number of years ago, but she did this for years at the chapel, and maybe this is you. We, during the week, we need people who help clean toys, fill up the toy boxes, get materials ready, the curriculum ready for the kids, and maybe you're retired, you could lend a hand. It's so easy to do, or you're a stay-at-home person, you've got a little bit of time, this would be great. So if you can help, just, there you go, email Becky at the chapel, or stop by the, at, at the Welcome Center, all right? Uh, next thing on the screen I want to tell you about is uh, the short-term mission team we have coming up. Next Sunday is when they leave. We had our team just return from Kentucky about three weeks ago, and the devastation they saw from the floods was overwhelming, and the gratitude they received from the community was overwhelming, and so we're sending a team back. It's just Sunday afternoon through Sunday, uh, Thursday evening, and if you would just uh, email Todd Enderly there, th that same information right there is in your worship bulletin, so just take it home with you. Think about it. You don't need to be super skilled. If you just have a big heart for helping others, that would be great. If you know how to put up drywall, that's even better. But just seriously, if you can help out, that would be wonderful. And then uh, the last thing I want to tell you about is, and we, we're talking about this every single week, our Global Missions conference, conference coming up October 1 through 4. The world is coming to us. We are connected with missionaries and mission agencies around the world, and these days they will all be here from Cuba and from Burundi and India and other places, and it's going to be great getting to hear from them. The next slide shows the different events that are coming up, and that same information there is on a card that's available for you at the Welcome Center, and there's things for kids and for families and for parents and for uh, men and for women and for 60-plus crowd and for young adults, everything. But the one I want to uh, zero in on for you, on, uh, in on for you, is our Family Night Global Experience. This will be at Sandusky Campus, October two, and um, you don't have to have kids to be a part of this. It'll be sort of kid oriented, but it's going to be a lot of fun. A taco bar starts at five o'clock, and then we'll all gather in the big room there and have a meal together. And then the kids will go off to their hallway with their mom and dad. This is not a drop your kid off thing. And, and they'll go to the different rooms with their passports they'll receive that morning, get them stamped by the country they'll hear about, like Cuba and Burundi and India and so on. Now that's for the kids, and that's going to be so cool to, to help expand our kids' understanding of the world. But for the middle school uh, students and the high school students, there will be a separate program in the, worship, in the uh, student center at the Sandusky campus, and there they get to hear from the leader 
of our Burundi ministry we're connected with. And he's never been to the United States before. And I can tell you, our students have never heard from anybody personally. What is it like to live in the poorest country in the world? What is it like to watch your people go through a genocide, 300,000 people being killed a number of years ago? What is it like taking the gospel to a group of people who have never heard about Jesus? That and many other things. It's going to be a fabulous time. Make your way to Sandusky. Many of the things will be at Sandusky campus, although this Saturday, October 1, this, uh, Saturday, October 1, there will be a thing here for men. All right? But a lot of different events happening. All right? Good. That's all I have to say. I want to get to the message. Although I'd love to keep... Did you see the lobby, all the different flags? I challenge you to identify which flag is from which country. Okay. Let's get on to the, to the message. So many decisions, so many choices, so many things we can do. Like, what events do I go to, right? Today we're going to be talking about decision-making. In the context of God's will for our lives. Oh, my goodness. I'll start with a story. A number of years before I met my amazing, awesome wife, Annette, I was living in central Ohio, and I had interest in getting to know a young lady who lived up in the Akron, Ohio area, which was like two to three hours away. So I had this idea. I know what I'll do. The weekend's coming. I will surprise her. I will show up and surprise her. But then I was faced with the challenges two to three hours away. Do I drive that distance or don't I? Do I make that choice or don't I make that choice? I was in some very slow traffic, and there in front of me was a car. And on its rear bumper, it said, and I kid you not, follow me to Akron. <laughs> I went home, I packed my stuff, and I drove to Akron. <laughs> she had gone away for the weekend. <laughs> what did I learn? That's a terrible way to make a decision from a bumper sticker. Oh, my goodness. Hey, I, I, have a, I have a better tried and true way of making a decision. It's on the screen here. Not that. Not that. But that, a magic eight ball. Did you ever use that? I mean, it will not let you down. You just shake it. You ask a question. You shake it, and up comes the answer. Like, for example, should I, during Super Bowl week, take the entire week off and celebrate the Browns' win. Be careful, you may come up with an answer you don't want. Don't count on it. What, what if we had something like a magic eight ball to guide us through the small and big decisions of life? For example, should I look for a new job? What opportunities do I say yes to or no to? Whom should I marry? Should I join a serving team or go on a short-term missions experience? Which college should I attend? How do I balance work and family plus all my other obligations? What do I do? And you can add to that list whatever decision is ahead of you right now, small or big. I can tell you this, that a bumper sticker will let you down. And, and a, a magic eight ball and all of its occultic cousins, they will let you down. If you, are, if you are a Christ follower, a Christian, can I just remind us of what has happened to us? At some point in your life, you came to the end of yourself. What I mean is you realized 
that you could not find your way to God, but you began to understand that God made his way to you in the person of Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins, and then you put your faith in Jesus alone, and when you did that, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ came to live within you. And if you are a Christ follower, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives within you. And not just that, you have God's written word, the Bible, as a resource. And because of God's Spirit living within you, and because of the power of God's word and the clarity of God's word, we can move forward and make hard and tough decisions with confidence moving forward in life fearlessly. The, the, the text we're going to look at this morning is from Acts chapter 21. And uh, this is going to lead us into a discussion of how to make good and hard decisions in the context of God's will for our lives. We can't say everything that could be said. And this is just one small little passage. There are many other things we could say, but this is part of it. We're going to look at Acts chapter 21, if you want to turn there. But let me tell you how Acts chapter 20 ended. And here's Paul, who is making his way eventually to Jerusalem. He stops by a, 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 a beach where the, the leaders of the Ephesian church come and join him. And Acts chapter 20 ends with Paul and the leaders of the Ephesian church kneeling, praying, and weeping. They are weeping. Why are they weeping? Because they know they will never see Paul again. Because his plan is to go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome and then to Spain. This is how chapter 21 begins. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Patera, and there we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Let me read that again. These believers on the shore of Tyre prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Now, Paul continues in his journey down toward this place called Caesarea. From there, he goes to Jerusalem. But in Caesarea, several days later, a, a man named Agabus also had the gift of prophecy arrived from Judea. Let me just stop there for a minute. The name Agabus may sound familiar to you. Back in chapter 11, this is the guy that came to Antioch and prophesied that coming soon would be a massive famine that would overtake the entire Roman world. He's like a prophet of doom. And now Paul sees Agabus coming, and Paul's got to be thinking, this can't be good. He came over. Agabus came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. And then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, it gets a little bit confusing because we have one group of believers in Tyre who have a sense that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. And now here again, Paul should not go to Jerusalem. But back in, in chapter 20, this is what Paul says, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. 
So, so it almost seems like God, the Holy Spirit, is contradicting himself. But we know from Scripture that God does never, never contradicts himself. So what's happening here? Paul has made the decision based upon the commission he received from Christ himself. He is, he is sharing the gospel everywhere, and he knows he, he's made the decision to go to Jerusalem. And, and he has a sense that, that it is God himself who is leading him. These other believers in these different locations, they understand that God has warned them through the Holy Spirit that Paul will suffer in Jerusalem. But because they love him so much and they feel compassion and concern, they're urging him not to go. That's what's going on. And, and this is not new to Paul because back in chapter 20, he says, I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, including Jerusalem, that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That's chapter 20. Back to chapter 21, as, his, as, his, as his, the people who love him, the believers, are gathered, Paul says, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And then, when it was clear that we, and when I say we, that's, the, that's Luke, the author of Acts, the author of the, of, the, of the gospel of Luke. We, he's with them. We, the believers, couldn't persuade him. We gave up and said, Paul, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. That, at the end of the day, that's what Paul wanted for his life, the Lord's will to be done. At the end of the day, this is what the believers wanted, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will to be done. And if you are a Christ follower, a Christian, isn't that at the end of the day what you want? The, the Lord's will to be done. Paul was convinced it was God's will for him to go to Jerusalem. My. Hard decision. This, this passage leads us into a discussion. It leads us into a discussion on how to make good and hard decisions, even if there are difficulties ahead of us, in the context of God's will for our lives. What is God's will for our lives? Over the years, there have been many, many, many books written on this idea, knowing God's will, and some of them are actually quite confusing. <laughs> But there's some that have provided great clarity. For example, and I don't have these on the screen, but you know, years ago, a guy by the name of Gary Friesen, I'd be glad to tell you the, the names of the books later, Gary Friesen wrote a book called Decision Making and the Will of God. Took the confusion out of it. Many people live with this idea that there's one thing, one bullseye, and i got to hit that. And if I don't hit that, I've missed God's will completely. I'm going to try to do away with that notion here in a few moments. And then just a few years ago, there's a guy by the name of um, Jerry Sitzer who wrote a book, The Will of God as a Way of Life. Wonderful book, clear book. It's a thinner book than the previous book. But the book that just came out recently that I love, it's, it's called this, Just Do Something. <laughs> that makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? Just Do Something. Kevin DeYoung is a, is a, he's a professor down in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. And... Uh, there's a number of reasons I love this book. One is it's really small. It's really, it's really easy to get through. There's no pictures, but it's really small. And it's super practical and super relevant. 
And what I love, too, is the subtext on the, on the front of the book. Just do something, a liberating approach to finding God's will. Because sometimes it can be complex. He, it's liberating. Or, I love this part, how to make a decision without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, etc. It's not that God can't do any of those. It's just that those are not the norm. What is the norm? So hopefully some of what I say parallels with what he, uh, what he says, all right? So when we start talking about God's will, what we often start with is this idea, God's will of direction. What I mean by that is, what do I do? Where should I go? Should I live here? Should I live there? Should I buy this? Should I buy that? Should I date this person? Date that person? Should I marry this person? Should I marry that person? And the list goes on and on, right? But this is not where we should start because God also has a will of desire for each of our lives. And what I mean by that is this. How am I living and who am I becoming? These questions have to do with character, if you are a parent, isn't that what you are most concerned with with your kids? I mean, they may take this job or that job, live here or there, but at the end of the day, isn't character the most important thing? And that's what God is most concerned with for you and me. In fact, we could say this, before we ever talk about God's will of direction, let's talk about God's will of desire. So let's do that. What is God's will of desire for you and for me? One day this really smart Jewish man, familiar with all of the 613 Jewish laws written in our Old Testament, comes up to Jesus and says, of all the laws and the Jewish scriptures, what's the most important? And Jesus responds, and maybe you know this, he responds so simply, so quickly. He says this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the first thing. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Said simply, if you want to be in the center of God's will, of desire, what God desires of you more than anything else is to love God and love people. That's where we start. It is a character issue. Andy Stanley takes these two sentences of Jesus and puts it into a question. What does love require of me in this decision? What does love require me? What would express love for God and love for people? And so you have the Apostle Paul, who writes so much, about a third of the New Testament. So much of it is, is designed around these questions of love for God and love for people. In fact, even his, his journey, should I go to Jerusalem or not? Is it an expression of loving God? Check. Is it an expression of loving people? Check. So, we start with God's will of desire. Now, now, now for a moment, just, I'm gonna, I, I wish I had this on the screen, but I, I'm just drawing a circle here. And this circle represents God's moral will. And, and, there are things that we can do that are within God's moral will and things we can do outside of God's moral will. I need some money, so I think I'll rob a bank. 
Is that inside God's moral will or outside? That would be outside, right. Um, I, I, I have something to say to somebody that needs to be said, but I say it in a mean way. Is that inside God's moral will or outside? It's outside. But there are things that happen within God's moral will, which is defined by loving God and loving people. And within God's moral will, there are many different things I can choose. In fact, there's the good and there's the better and there's the best. Which one does God want for me? I don't think he cares so much what we choose as how we go about choosing. Where within God's moral will, do I live here? Do I live there? Do I buy this? Do I buy that? Do I marry this person? Do I marry that person? How do we go about making that decision? And that leads us to God's will of direction. What do I do? Where do I go? All right, you with me? Character first, and now will of direction. How do we, this is, this is so cool. God loves you and me so much that he wants to guide us. I was just yesterday morning in Psalm 32, and it says that God's saying, I will teach you, and I will instruct you. I will, I will guide you and give you counsel all along the way. And that's, that's just Psalm 32. That's the theme throughout the entire Bible. As we, and God wants to lead us and guide us. And he's given us ways to, to, to make good decisions between good, better, and best within his moral will. So let me give you several of those. And these are no surprise, I don't think. If you want to know what God wants for you, you must listen to what he has to say to you. Now, what does God want for you? He wants you to, to make a good decision in the right way. So we start with God. Now, now, maybe you're like me, I, I, I will admit, that when I have a major decision, it seems like the first thing I do is go and find somebody and say, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Okay, well, that's point number two. We'll get to that in a few moments. That's not a wrong thing, but we must start with God. But, but oftentimes, we go to a book or go to a podcast. I read the other day that on Amazon, there's 861,000 self-help books. How about that? you start with God? With scripture and with prayer, do you start with God? You look at Paul's writings and even him going to Jerusalem, he is immersed in God's scriptures. He is immersed in prayer. I mean, how else would he choose to go to a place where he's going to suffer badly? God wants to instruct us, teach us, guide us, counsel us all along the way. When I was a young Christian, I came across a verse that, that perhaps some of you know by heart. In Paul's very last letter to Timothy, he, he writes these words, all scripture is God-breathed. That means all scripture is inspired. That means all scripture is from God's, these are God's, the Bible is God's very words. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness, right living, so that the person of God, the Christian, can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Name a good work you're engaged in. There are many, but one of the best works we can be engaged in is making right choices between good, better, and best. <laughs> and Scripture can help us do that. 
And, and so the decision before me, is this really a proper use of my finances and my resources? Is this really an optimal use of the giftings God has given me? How will this decision affect my family? And on and on, Scripture gives us principles. And that's why we encourage so much for all of us to, 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 to spend time in God's Word because it can guide us and lead us. It's like guardrails. And, but it's not just Scripture, it's also prayer. It, it, maybe you know the, the verse from James chapter 1 where he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And he will give to that person generously. I want to ask you, do you, do you pray? I mean, you just grab somebody's hand and say, let's pray about this. Talk to God. So that's where we start, with God. That's what believers do. That's what God wants for us more than anything. As we live within his moral will. Let me, let me go to a second way. And that is to seek a multitude of wise counsel. It is good to talk to people. It's important to talk to people. Um, j just the other day, um, as I'm trying to help a friend make it a huge career decision, I found a document that I sent to him. It's the, it's the very document I read to my core leaders at my former church 11 years ago as it describes the decision-making process I went through, for, my wife and I went through for three months. Should we leave our church in Akron where we were for 23 years? I said Akron, that has nothing to do with the girl that I went to see. We just happened to move there. <laughs> and so I said a bumper sticker. I saw a bumper sticker. He said, follow me to Sandusky, Ohio. No, that's not right. But in this document of how you make a good decision, I, um, th th there's a section there on the advice I received from friends. People who knew me, people who loved me, people who would speak the truth to me in love, and maybe you've done that. It's so important to have people like that around us. I remember one advisor, I, I, one of my biggest concerns after 23 years of pastoring there, I, the, the, the memories and the friends, and he said to me, Jay, God will replace your memories and friends with new memories and friends. And that happened. It was such great advice for me. I remember to this day. My wife and I often spend time in Proverbs. We'll do like a proverb a day and talk it through. And we'll come across, and these are just a few of the Proverbs. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Or plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Or listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. So we seek God and we seek the advice of those who know us. There's, there isn't one person in this room who is wise enough to make a good decision on your own. We need people around us who understand us, know us, know us our weaknesses, know our strengths, who love us well enough to say the hard and good things to us. Now, just a little sidebar comment on advisors. Be careful. Be discerning in who you select as an advisor because sometimes you may select somebody who will tell you just what you want to hear. That's not a good advisor. Or, or maybe there's somebody who, um, you know, uh, 
They understand what you want to do, but because it might create difficulty for them or problems for them or emotional pain for them, they may advise you not to do something or to do something. That's not a good advisor either. Parents often fall into that category. But Paul, in our story, the believers on the beaches that he met, Paul, don't go. I mean, they clearly received a warning from the Holy Spirit. This is what would happen in Jerusalem. Don't go, Paul. But Paul, in his heart, knew it was the right thing. Just because it's hard doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. And so, when you have misguided advice, here's my my encouragement. Go back to number one. (laughs) Go back to God's word in prayer. Okay, number three. Don't make it more complicated than it ought to be. Make a decision. You can't mess it up. I'll come back to the asterisk there in a moment. Don't make it more complicated than it ought to be. I said this earlier, but I I, I think it's very true. Oftentimes, we we get it, it can be very complex. I hear somebody say, God told me. And I think, what do you mean by that? Unless it comes directly out of God's word. Or something that sounds super spiritual and ethereal, and I think, wow, it, it, no, it can't be that hard. And it can't be just that there's one thing that God wants me to choose, otherwise I've missed everything. Within God's moral will, there's a variety of things that we can choose. The other day I was on the phone with Pastor Eric, and we were talking about this, and he said, you know, in, in a sense, really, this entire message can be boiled down like this. Love God, love people. Seek God, seek out people, and then do what you want. But what happens if you, as you're making this decision within God's moral will between good, better, and best, what happens when you make a decision and you realize, oh, nuts. That's not the job I really wanted. The, it's, it's fine that you took it, but it's, I, I should have done this. Or, or moved here or moved there or whatever it might be. What do, you, what do you do then? It's amazing how God has this, this, this GPS system where he reroutes you. And, and it helps you to, to, to think things through as you seek him and seek the advice of others. What's God's highest purpose for each Christ follower? That is to shape the image of Jesus within each of us. That's his highest purpose. And God has the ability to reroute us and bring us back on track. Now, I said I was going to mention the asterisk. The asterisk represents those things that we do outside of God's moral will. You rob a bank. (laughs) Or you do something that's just clearly wrong, a wrongful choice, a sinful choice. And some people can think, I've blown it now. I am so far outside of God's will now, there's no way I can get back on track. But this is, the, this is the, you know, the term amazing grace, the song. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that leads us through life. And it's the same grace that can bring us back into God's purposes for our lives That mistake you made, as you're repentant and to surrender to God, watch what happens. One day you'll look in the rearview mirror and say, look how God wove together my bad choice 
with his sovereign will and is accomplishing his purpose in my life. Let's uh, end with uh, this. Many are the plans in in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God's sovereign will will allow his purpose to prevail in your life. Um, the author of the book I referenced earlier says, God is not a magic eight ball we, sh- we shake up and peer into, when- peer into whenever we have a decision to make. He is a good God who gives us brains, shows us the way of obedience, and invites us to take risks for him. Love God, love people, seek God, seek out people, and then make a decision and move forward confidently and fearlessly. Let's pray. And God, thank you for bringing us into your family, and thank you for um, your greatest desire for us is character. Would you shape within us the person of Christ and help us make decisions that reflect an honor of who you are? May your purposes be accomplished in each of our lives. May your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.